More than 75,000 patients pass through the emergency department at Denver Health Medical Center each year, and they receive the best care possible from a top-ranked facility. Dr. Christopher Caldwell, the director of Denver Health Department of Emergency Medicine, helps make sure of that. He joins Denver DA Mitch Morrissey on this edition of Dialogue Denver DA. Hello everyone, I'm Tamara Banks. Welcome to Dialogue Denver DA. Mitch, always great to see you. Good to see you, Tamara. And I'm so excited about our special guest today, Dr. Christopher Caldwell. Tell us a little bit more about what you do at uh, Denver Health, um, the emergency department. It's not just the emergency room, and it's not just paramedics. I mean, it's a whole department that you're in charge of. Yes, it's, it's really an exciting system that we have here in Denver. And at Denver Health, we have under the emergency department, we have the adult and pediatric emergency departments that are there at Denver Health. We also oversee the 911 emergency system, uh, medical system, and the Denver paramedics. And we have the emergency medicine residency training program that's based out of Denver Health as well. So it's really a nice opportunity to have uh, the, the, the chance to really touch so many people in different ways. Yeah, it takes a lot of people to make all that. So it's such a successful uh, place. And you've been with uh, the emergency department for quite some time, right? So I did actually my residency training there back when it was Denver General from mm -hmm. 1992 to 1996. I've now been there uh, as, as an attending uh, for over 18 years. And you're not just one of those executives on the top floor. You actually pull some shifts. I do. I don't do as many as I used to now with the administrative responsibilities, but I still do shifts, and, and that's really the fun part of my job. I really enjoy taking care of patients, and it's a great place to do it. Now, we know, a lot of us know, at least in this region, that uh, Denver Health is one of the best in the region. As a matter of fact, I remember back in the day it was called the Knife and Gun Club. If you're going to get stabbed or, or um, shot, you need to go to DGH back then. Now Denver Health. What makes Denver Health, um, your emergency department, so top-notch? Well, as with, I think, probably any program, it's the people. It's the passion, the mission, and the drive of the people that work there. And the, you know going in that you're going to take care of a, of a very sometimes challenging but, uh, but exciting population that has a lot of medical needs. And you do well what you do often, so we, we end up having an opportunity to take care of a lot of patients that are very sick, both trauma and otherwise. And so we are accustomed to that, and we have many good nurses, healthcare techs, physicians, uh, both training and, uh, and attending staff physicians in emergency medicine, surgery, internal medicine that are used to taking care of very sick patients. And in the emergency department, we have a large population of very sick patients, so we do it very regularly. Very sick patients and also patients who are uh, traumatized due to violence. So I imagine, uh, Mitch, your department interfaces quite a oh, lot with, with Yeah, uh, I think Denver we Health. probably send more subpoenas to Denver Health than any one place anywhere. Hmm. Uh, they get thousands and thousands of subpoenas from us. And in fact, we've, because of that, developed a system, work with them, try to do what we can to keep them over at the hospital as much as possible, saving lives. But they also have a role in the courtroom. And I can tell you of cases that I've tried where people have been shot in the head and survived, and the critical witness 
was that doctor that came in that did the brain surgery mm -hmm. that shows the jury the bullet fragments that are still in the victim's head and those kinds of things because of course the victim can't talk about that necessarily uh, she came in and testified but you know I'll never forget watching that person testify the doctor and thinking you know this is almost like a medical school class and that's the kind of people that this hospital attracts they attract the very best surgeons their teachers and they make incredible witnesses so we have to do things around the volume that we send them and we sit down and try to do that obviously sex assaults the examinations are handled down at denver health and we developed a SANE nurse program and that's really the best part of Denver Health is they're always willing to say okay what is the next best thing what can we do to improve the way that we treat victims of sexual assault children that have been abused those kinds of things and you know Dr. Wells and all the different people that come into play when we have a baby that gets killed or or that type of thing and they are just great partners to work with because they're always looking ahead and looking for what's best for their patient which is our victim and so we have the same goal in mind and we push the same way and you know occasionally we'll get that doctor that we don't get them into court when we should have and that kind of thing but it is so rare compared to the number of things that we do and the one thing I always do when I get a chance to I always thank Denver Health and uh, part of doing this show I think it's important you know the homicide rate is always something you see in the newspaper and you know Denver's homicide rate last year was 50 percent or 100 percent higher and it was and we had like 50 homicides but I guarantee you we'd have 250 homicides in this city if it wasn't for Denver Health and they just save people's lives. The bottom line is that's what they do. They save police officers that have been shot. They save children that have been hurt. And I always get paged when someone gets killed or shot in Denver. You know, homicides responding to this location. Uh, victims been taken to Denver Health. And you know, for me, that's always great news because it means the person's gonna live. If they didn't get taken to Denver Health, it means they died and it means it's a homicide that we have to deal with but as late as last night I got that call two victims one dead at the scene the other on the way to Denver Health did she make it she made it to Denver Health that means she's alive today that's what it means to me being a prosecutor for the last 32 years so Dr. Caldwell obviously your job is to save lives as Mitch has mentioned and to make people feel better but how do you uh, sort of balance that between also then possibly being a good witness in a case? How does that come together? So much by practice, by doing it quite a bit and understanding what, and, and we've had a great opportunity to work together with the DA's office, with law enforcement to understand better what's important to them what types of things we do that are helpful for, for them down the road. And we're often not thinking, we're thinking in, in the immediate moment of what we need to do. We're not thinking what that means six months from now, a year from now or more. And it is important that we are communicating like we do, that we are working together very closely so we can understand those things. And simple things that we wouldn't know to do bagging hands and other areas of uh, evidence preservation that are simple for us to do when we know what to do, but 
are not something we would naturally think of while taking care of a patient. So this type of communication and working together on a regular basis, being involved in the courtroom part of the process mm -hmm. helps us to understand better how to work together on these areas. So sort of having some procedures in place beforehand, knowing what those are, and then as you're taking care of the patient, you're sort of dotting the I's and crossing the T's as you go along. Exactly. They have great victim advocates, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. You yeah. know, if you think about it, you get to the hospital and you've been raped, beaten. Uh, they have a vic team of victim advocates that step in and help with mm -hmm. that and sit with the victims and talk to them about the procedures they're going to go through, that kind of thing. So, you know, he has as wide a range of people that work for him mm -hmm. as I do. You know, I have victim advocates and investigators and, you know, people that work the streets and lawyers and all of that. Well, you know, Chris has, you know, paramedics and victim advocates and administrative people. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a multifaceted situation they have down there. And if you're ever down there, you know it. Yeah. You, I walk in and, you know, I, I'll never forget going in and seeing one of Brent Brent's victims. And they had just removed small portion of her brain that had died from the beating from a two by four and they let me go in and talk to her she was she was uh, I'm sure she doesn't remember the conversation but uh, we sat and talked to her for a little while and you know so occasionally they will let me in when you know there's not blood flying and things but yeah. you know I've been down there a lot and I really appreciate the work they do yeah we're very fortunate to have a, a passionate team uh, that really wants what's best for these patients victims and knowing that it's medicine, it's absolutely medical care, but it's also much so much more than that. And he's alluding to the work with the social workers and the victim advocates and the, the many others that, that work so hard to at least try to help them through what can be some of the most horrifying experiences you would, you would ever know. Right, because you don't want to re-traumatize the individual who's already gone through something pretty dramatic anyway. And it's easy to do when you don't know how to navigate those situations. Mm -hmm. So we've read and heard uh, news reports about uh, the legalization of marijuana yep. and the incidents that we're seeing of people going to the emergency room. Well, that was part of the big campaign to vote to legalize marijuana is that it's going to be safer because people can just buy it instead of buying it uh, from the black market and, um, you know, just have us just what you want and not OD. But that's quite the contrary, at least in your experience, I understand. And remember, this is just from the medical perspective. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many about this issue, as I'm sure you are well aware. Um, but from our perspective, there was a very clear difference when medical marijuana, excuse me, recreational marijuana became legal in January of 2014. Mm -hmm. We saw a dramatic increase, essentially right away, in emergency department visits. And it was on the adult side, it was on the pediatric side, it was a variety of different types of things they were facing. They were facing higher concentrations of substance and that didn't make them feel the way they had expected. So they were looking for help with that. There were little kids that were getting into uh, either brownies or other treats that are always look so appealing mm -hmm. from, a, uh, from, from a standpoint of a young child. And so they were getting, getting into those situations and we were seeing our amateur chemists across Denver that were experimenting with ways of getting higher concentrations of the product and using a, a solvent, often butane, to create that that would be flammable and get into trouble with those things as well. So we really did see a dramatic increase in visits to the emergency department for a variety of re reasons, but related to the legalization of recreational marijuana. 
I mean, what he's alluding to there, and that just so people understand, is that people were making hash oil in their homes yeah. and blowing Blow them up. up. Yeah. And so then there they are on fire, their hands. One, I've heard one victim describe how his hands melted. Mm. And you know he had to go in then and get surgery after surgery mm -hmm. for these deep burns that they have. So you know the idea of the of the chemist that's trying to you know concentrate this down. I think that one of the things that didn't come across to the people that voted for either the medical or the recreational would be the fact that this marijuana would go from having about two percent THC that it had in the 70s to now up to sometimes 30 percent THC. This is virtually a different narcotic mm -hmm. than it was and that people think about, well, it's marijuana, you know, Woodstock, all of that. Well, that was marijuana. This is marijuana on steroids. And so when you get somebody that eats too much of it, they end up in the hospital. They right. end up in the emergency room. And these kids that get poisoned by it, the medical, you, you get the Rocky Mountain Poison Center. Mm -hmm. Their calls have gone through the roof on this. So that's some of the things that you see. And you have to discuss those things because they're a reality when you have a public policy to legalize marijuana. Right. We're going to talk more about the emergency department in just a few moments, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll, we'll be back with more Dialogue Denver DA. Back in a moment. Life is made of moments. Family. A drunk driver could take it all away. Keep your family safe on the road. Because after all, nothing is more beautiful. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Keep your family safe. Dialogue Denver DA. I'm Tamara Banks and this is the portion of the program where we talk about a legal term and today's legal term is affirmative defense. And affirmative defense provides a legal justification for otherwise criminally culpable behavior. What does that really mean, Mitch? Well, an affirmative defense is exactly that. I shot the person. But I'm justified in doing it because I did it in self-defense. And that's the most common one that we see. So the person isn't denying that they were there. They're not denying that they pulled the trigger. They're not denying the crime. They're saying I was justified. And so it's not a crime. And so we have a number of affirmative defenses in the state of Colorado. But the two that I think people think the most of are self-defense and uh, make my day. Make my day is a more recent one. But it's like someone broke into my house. They came in. I thought they were going to harm me or commit a crime therein, and so I shot and killed them. You're not denying that you shot and killed the person. Right. What you're saying is, I was justified. I had a right to behave the way I did. So the affirmative defense part of it is, you are actually admitting to the criminal act, but saying it's not a criminal act 
because I was justified in behaving that way. Gotcha. Makes sense. Getting back to our guest here, Dr. Caldwell, the head of the um, emergency department at Denver Health. We were talking just before the break about um, the emergency room visits caused by marijuana overdose. Tell us a little bit more about um, what you see. We left off where people's hands are, are burned, maybe even their whole body caught on fire by um, things blowing up. And trying to make the concentrated marijuana products mm -hmm. uh, in doing that. You know, we've had marijuana in Colorado for a long time, well before it was legal, either for medical purposes or for recreational purposes. But we really did see a dramatic increase when it became legalized. First, starting in 2009, which was many years after it became legal from a medical standpoint, but it was when the federal government really made the statement we're going, if you're abiding by state law, even though technically it's illegal from a federal standpoint, we're not going to pursue those. And you saw that increase, and it's around 2009 or so, but we really saw a dramatic increase in 2014. And, and it does, it, it breaks down into adults who are trying different products and feel differently than they ex expected to, sometimes quite badly because of the very high concentrations. The children that are getting into products and acting differently, and sometimes we know that they got into something, sometimes we don't. And that can be scary as well when a young child comes in acting differently and go through a whole variety of testing. Some can be risky testing to find out what's going on, only to find out later that they were able to get a hold of some marijuana. And then the I guess, for lack of a better word, criminal element of it that are that are trying to do things that even just because marijuana is legal, not all things related to it are legal. Mm -hmm. And there is, at least from a medical standpoint, a subculture that is pushing the envelope in a lot of ways. And when they do that, they get into trouble and often end up in the emergency department. And you're also seeing some visits from people on uh, ODing on heroin. That We thought that was long old thing gone. Oh no, no. Heroin has, it's always gone, at least from my perspective, in cycles where we mm -hmm. would see it be very popular for a while and then it would die down for a little bit and it become very popular again. And we are seeing, and, and again, what we see in the emergency department is sometimes a very skewed version because if there's a bad batch in Denver or for some reason a, a lot of people are trying it for the first time, mm -hmm. newer users are trying it, but we have seen a increase across the country and certainly in Denver as well of patients having to come into the emergency department because of heroin, but other narcotics opiates as well, which can include pain pills, prescription pain pills like oxycodone and hydrocodone that can have a similar effect if you overdose on them. You know, you really can tell when mm -hmm. something like that is happening and when I do a presentation, I always call and find out, you know, what are the emergency room admittances on these situations? And you really get a sense of, you know, one, how, what's the age of these people? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sad thing when we're talking opioids, we're talking 25 and under. Mm -hmm. We're talking about mm -hmm. our young people, our kids. That's who's having problems with heroin on our streets. That's the kids in the high schools that are having these issues. Mm -hmm. And you can always go to the emergency room, find out what they're seeing, and that will give you an indication of what's really going on. <laughs> you look at our field and, you know, we may have more kids that we're charging with heroin, more people that are dealing heroin. You know, we've got the kids that sell the heroin down on the mall. We see that go up and down, but to really understand the full circle of things, 
you need to go and see what's going on at Denver Health and what are they seeing there. And they're great about keeping those statistics. They don't, of course, give us names of people or anything like that because right. that would violate you know, medical privilege. We don't do that. But those raw statistics so we can understand, you know, what are we really seeing here mm -hmm. throughout our metro area, throughout, because they, you know, Denver Health, you, know, you don't have to be a Denver resident. I mean, right. the metro area, they are a good flag for what's going on mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to these kind of behaviors. I appreciate uh, Mr. Morrissey pointing that part out because we really want it to be clear if you're, if you're having a medical issue and you come into Denver Health, we don't address the legal parts of that, we just address the medical parts and we want people to be very comfortable coming seeking medical care because many of them need it right. and we are not going to arrest you because you've come in to to seek medical care we're going to take care of you we're going to try to help you get to a better place so that you're not using the dangerous drugs that can really uh, that can really affect your life mm -hmm. it's the other reason we also push for Narcan which can now be uh, obtained without a prescription as a really a life-saving possibility I want to switch a little bit to um, psychiatric care. How have the changes in psychiatric care impacted uh, the emergency department? It's had a dramatic effect and this is something again that we're, we're absolutely seeing in Colorado. It's a nationwide problem and we do not have adequate psychiatric resources in this country. And I think we need to know that because the impact has been dramatic and particularly in emergency departments where what was previously being managed with not adequate resources but resources all the same mm -hmm. that now really have no opportunity other than coming to the emergency department and I can't tell you how significant the increase has been and people really want to to get help they want to get it before it gets dangerous and get they get right. to the point where they're dangerous to themselves or others and their access has been so limited by the, the decrease in resources, again, across the country, but, but absolutely in Denver. And so we're seeing many of these folks that could be managed very well, even at outpatients. They don't have to be inpatient psychiatric care, but it needs to be managed proactively. It needs to be recognized. And when it's not, they get into a lot of trouble that results in their being in the emergency department far too often. And we're seeing so many visits that when you really get down to the base of it, it's because they haven't had enough care for their psychiatric illness. And so now you're dealing with the end result of not having enough preventative care, or at least manageable care, and now they're at a critical state. Right, it's harm that they've done to themselves, it's harm that they might have done to others. They get into violent situations, they get to the point where they're making bad decisions, and it, it impacts not just them and their families, but, but many others as well. And it's something that I think if we, if we had to pinpoint some critical areas that we as a country need to address, it's the access to psychiatric care. Chris One is absolutely right there, I mean. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's left to him, mm -hmm. and it's left to us. You know, here we are with a psychotic individual at the jail that ends up dying or, you know, our, 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 our jail is the number one, one of the largest mental health facilities yeah. in the state of Colorado, the Denver County Jail. And that's not a place to do that. It's a very expensive place to deal with this situation. 
the emergency room, a very expensive place to deal with this. And you know, I don't know when people are going to wake up and say, hey, let's invest the dollar here instead of $10 here and $100 here. I mean, it just doesn't make sense the way we deal with this problem. But it's constant in the criminal justice system, in Chris's world. I mean, we just see it. And it, and it could be handled so much better and so much simpler and much less expensively. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, and I've been talking this for decades, and <laughs> it seems to always fall on deaf ears. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. The other thing I'd like to, to say and that is that Chris is a leader and Denver Health is a leader in doing techniques and teaching people on the streets like law enforcement. My investigators have been to the school, learned about the tourniquets that are saving people's lives mm -hmm. out there. So those are people that never used to make it to Denver Health, but yeah. because this tourniquet training that they're doing, an investigator in my office gets a tourniquet on someone that's been shot or stabbed. That person has a chance to get to Denver Health and they're going to survive. So those are the kinds of things that they're doing that are saving police officers' lives, people that have been shot, people that have been stabbed. You know, back when we started, I used to see those people, they would die. They're not dying now because they're getting the... I guess normal people are getting the training. They're not medical people. They're right. getting the training from Chris's folks. And then again, they're saving lives because of the work of Denver Health. So it's more than just first aid. This is sort of a couple steps up from that. Uh, but they're not paramedics. They're people that are very first responders who might be at the scene immediately until the medical uh, folks get there. We, ha we have a number of tools that absolutely save lives. Mitch mentioned tourniquets, uh, there are Narcan as we talked about, AEDs, automatic external defibrillators, and that's not related to trauma, but it is related to a big cause of death in Denver and across the country, cardiac arrest when the heart stops. So there are, and, and you do not need medical training to use these tools. You do, it's important to know what they are mm -hmm. and, and to be familiar with them so you're not afraid of them. But they can save lives and they don't need the medical training and, and they often it buys time so the medical training can get there the, or the trained professionals can get there and really make a difference. Right, right. We're running out of time but before <laughs> we go I just want to talk quickly about recently you were honored with a moratorium service award by the Colorado chapter of the American College of Emergency Physicians. That's pretty awesome. That is great. Congratulations. Well they were, they were very nice to do that. I would say that as, as Mitch has talked about already we have a wonderful team at Denver Health, and the team involves uh, physicians, nurses, uh, surgeons, emergency physicians, and so many more. And so I have the opportunity to do a lot of exciting things, and sometimes they give uh, awards for, uh, for, for doing what you love doing and what you're excited about doing, and I think that represents one where I, I work with a great team and, and get to do what, I wouldn't say it's fun to deal with people at sometimes the most challenging parts of their life, right. but but I really do something that I can feel good about and that we can work together to make a difference in people's lives. Well, we're so lucky to have you here in Denver and in the region. Thank you, Dr. Chris Cobble, for being with us here on this edition of Dialogue Denver DA. I'm Tamara Banks. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.